I'm Alex Travis. I'm Maureen Friedley. This is the High Horse Podcast. And we're leaving egos on the ground. Fucking nailed it, bro. For one. Nailed it. Finally. The third (laughs) 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 Crushed it. Um, So... Maureen, why don't you go ahead and introduce what we're talking about today? Okay. So we're going to talk about animal husbandry for horses. Um, and this episode is going to be a lot more of a, um, conversation between Alex and I, I am somebody who's always all of my, you know, I have a small homestead with a bunch of different animals on it. And all of my animal husbandry has been very, um, learn as I go. Uh, so I don't necessarily like do the super deep dive into the science of things or why things are a certain way or anything like that. Um, and like I said, in previous, uh, episodes, you know, owning horses is still fairly new for me. So this episode is going to be a lot of, uh, me asking questions of Alex and her ideas and thoughts on, um, animal husbandry for horses and how to improve it. And yeah. It's, it's going to, it's going to be a little different from how we, we usually talk because, you know, like, like Alex has said, um, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I don't know a lot about animal husbandry. So, mm-hmm. so, uh, Alex, how... yeah, so I think, go ahead. So for starters, um, I think it's helpful to just define animal husbandry. So for me, Animal husbandry is the way in which you care for your animals, for your livestock. Um, How you do it, the way you do it, why you do it, um, that is all your animal husbandry. So whether you realize it or not, you do have husbandry. It's just the level to which and the way in which you are performing that care that is different from person to person. Um, And now this is everything from, you know, cleaning your troughs to um, your diet and nutrition program with your horses, all the way down to the way you train. That's all animal husbandry. So all the ways you care for your animals and interact with your animals, that to me is your animal husbandry. Um, And this is so important. And this is one of the, the initial first episodes because you can't expect to build a good relationship on top of bad husbandry. Mm-hmm. You can't expect for your horse to perform at any kind of adequate level, let alone at a high level, an upper level, with poor husbandry. So it's important, it's crucial, imperative, pivotal, choose your, choose your word, your descriptor, that your animal husbandry is really 10 out of 10 on point doing the absolute best you can before you start to ask for any of those other things from your animal. Um, This is important for a number of reasons. First and foremost, um, let's just take feeding and health, for example. If your animal is in poor health or they're not getting adequate nutrition, their mind isn't going to be on or focused on what you're training them to do that day, Mm -hmm. you working with them. Their mind is on food because they're hungry, because their nutrition isn't where it needs to be. Um, If your animal is, you know, nursing or laboring an injury, you can't, you know, they're not going to be focused on what you're asking from them. 
because they're, they have a, an untreated injury. <clears throat> Furthermore, particularly as it pertains to horses, you know, if you're trying to be the leader, you've got to act one. And that means providing for them. And horses, we've mentioned this in the last episode, only see you through the lens of a horse. Right. They see you through the lens of a horse. So when you're trying to be an effective leader, you're really trying to fill big shoes. You know, a, a natural band stallion would be always ensuring that it, the members of his herd are safe and protected, have access to food. So he would be moving them every day to an area with adequate food for everyone and water all the time. So you have to then fill those shoes. And because you're doing it in a domestic environment, um, you're adding additional barriers, right? You know, what, what limitations your property has, what limitations you have financially, um, and just putting the constraints of being domestic on top of your uh, human horse relationship is difficult in the way that it's not as mentally stimulating or enriching as being wild is. So for me, one of the most crucial things your husbandry should incorporate is enrichment. <clears throat> you know, it's, this is no different. Keeping horses is no different to me than having tigers in a zoo. They're not meant to be there any more than horses are meant to be ridden. Right. That tiger in the zoo is no more natural to that zoo, even if it was born there, as that horse in your barn. It isn't. It just isn't. So it's your job as the caretaker to ensure that that animal is fed, has adequate shelter, its health is taken care of, and it is mentally enriched, mentally enriched. Um, I plan on filming some short, <clears throat> some short form videos for my TikTok soon on enrichment. Uh, Ranch Rumors has some great videos on enrichment for dogs as well as for horses. Um, so one of the ways I do this is how, through. So you're, you're mentioning enrichment a lot for people who don't quite understand what enrichment is. How do you personally define enrich, enrichment? Uh, it, to me, enrichment is any activity or stimulus that is mentally engaging to the horse. That horse is mentally and physically engaged with that activity or that stimulus. It's important um, that I, you know, I didn't say positive. I said engaged. And there's a reason for that. So, and I'll, and I'll give you an example. So, first of all, I just want to cover the, like the most simple, basic means of providing enrichment for your horses is turnout. Turnout. Mm -hmm. If, when at all possible, that horse should be turned out more than anything else. You know, if it wasn't for Roni being injured right now, um, that him and cricket would be turned out. Sully's not ready yet because we don't have a good enough relationship, um, that I can trust him to come in the event of an emergency mm -hmm. come to me. Um, but ideally, you know, here in a few months when he is, they will all be turned out all the time. They only go into their paddocks to eat. That's it. Um, so turnout is number one because that mimics it mimics the animal's most natural environment. Their most natural behavior is to roam and graze freely. Um, 
even if it's on one acre, that's better than nothing. Mm -hmm. Horses aren't meant to be kept in a stall. They're just not. So expect that if that is the way you're keeping your horses, that you need to do 10 times as much enrichment and you're fighting an uphill battle. Yeah. Because that's not the way horses are meant to live. And now you're fighting their evolutionary biology. Um, you've taken an animal that naturally migrates and naturally roams, you know, a lot of, of area on a given day and kept them in a 10 by 10 stall. And that's going to create an unhappy animal, just like you would be happy if you were in a prison cell. So turnout is number one. And number two is going to be free choice hay. Um, I know that that sounds really expensive and daunting to a lot of people. One way I have personally mitigated this is through slow feeder hay nets. All of my horses get a full slow feeder hay net. And I've actually used less hay now that I do that. Mm -hmm. I do mix um, an alfalfa alpha and a grass hay together to give them a little bit of rough forage and a little bit of something to kind of pillage through. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they, they go through, I'm, I'm spending as much now feeding four horses, really four and a half, if you count Sully for the size he is, um, as I was feeding just two horses twice a day. So, um, horses are not meant to be fed two times a day or three times a day or whatever. They are meant to graze 24 hours a day. Right. Period. That's like not up for discussion. That's not something you can argue. They are not meant to be fed on a schedule. They are meant to have access to hay or grazing all the time for two reasons. One, that's the way their digestive tract has evolved over millions of years. You are not going to fight, reprogram, or restructure millions of years of biology. You aren't. It is a futile battle. So instead, work with it. Work with it. If your mare is girthy, or cinchy, or they just are in a bad mood all the time, I would suspect ulcers if you only feed twice a day. In fact, when I was taking client horses, that was one of my initial requirements. Free choice, hey, 24 hours a day. I won't work with your horse if you don't, period. Mm -hmm. um, so they get a full hay bag twice a day. Um, and those are the two like most simple, easy ways to enrich your horse's life. A horse that lives in a stall and gets fed twice a day does not have an enriched life. That is a miserable life. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Yeah. Um, especially for a creature that is naturally born to be free. They're born to be free. You have taken on the responsibility and the obligation of keeping them as a domestic pet. So you need to fill those shoes properly. That is your obligation as the owner, period. Um, Having an adequate area to turn them out and filling a fucking hay bag, I think is the absolute bare minimum. That is the bare minimum. You mm. can do that. Everybody can do that. Uh, the, the hay nets I got were like 30 bucks. Is that a little on the expensive side? Sure. But it, it does the job really well. Oh, yeah. And so it's just like investing any, you know, if you've got a $2,000 saddle but won't buy a $30 hay net, I don't want to hear shit from you. Period. I don't. Uh, that horse isn't designed to be ridden, but it is designed to eat 24 yeah. hours a day. And we know from studies in people as well as studies in horses that the gut, we're, we're starting to accept more that the gut is really the first brain. In fact, they've done studies on human beings with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and gut microbiome manipulation where they have enriched the flora of the microbiome in the gut, which is just the bacterial diversity, right? So when I say microbiome, I'm talking about 
the diversity of different species of bacteria in the gut and the quantities of those bacteria, right? Because if you have too much of one than another, that creates dysfunction. And if you don't have enough species diversity in the first place, that also creates dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And they found that they were more effectively mitigating the symptoms of bipolar disorder and schizophrenia in, the, in these two patient groups, just manipulating the gut's microbiome than they were with medication. Yeah, that really is the first brain and it doesn't matter what kind of mammal you are. I'm a big believer in the power of food with, when it comes to both the, the overall health, you know, head to toe inside out for people and, and animals that food is, is the, the biggest thing to help with whatever those ailments are. I mean, I, I went to school when I got out of the military, I went to school, um, for, uh, health science and I remember in one of the classes, um, a professor telling us about how they are now treating Alzheimer's with what they call literally brain food. Mm -hmm. And they're finding how things like avocados and blueberries and just a strong diet with the right foods has alleviated a lot of issues and slowed down the progress of Alzheimer's in people strictly based on their diet. Well, and not to deviate too much from the topic of horses here, but certain diseases like, you know, cancers, heart disease, diabetes, those are colonial. Mm -hmm. Those are colonial, no offense. I mean, actually all the offense, but those ex diseases didn't exist here pre-colonialism. Right. Settlers brought those with them. And how did they do that? Through their food, through mm -hmm. food. Food can be just as healing as it is toxic. It, yes. Um, and we see this particularly in all the studies done on the Aboriginal cultures of Australia. Um, and it's no different for horses. You know, you put your horse on a two times a day, two, uh, two flakes twice a day kind of diet. No, well, no wonder you've got a grouchy horse. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised. And that's all they ever eat. A horse that is naturally out on the range is going to have access to so many different forages and you're only giving them two. Yeah. Well, I hate to break it to you, but you're just, you're just not going to outdo biology. You just never will. That's just not the way uh, life is designed. So you can either work with it or keep fighting against it and let me know how that works for you. Yeah. So aside from, you know, turnout and diet or at least access to free choice hay, and I'm not saying give them access to free choice alfalfa, you know, unless you want your horse to founder. Oh, absolutely. Uh, if you're going to do free choice hay, yeah, it should be primarily a, um, a grass hay if your horse can withstand it. Uh, ask your vet if you need to. And, you know, don't be afraid to even like mix straw in. You know, one thing that Brooke does that I've seen is she's taken hay, she put straw in the hay bag and then put the hay in the middle. So the horses have to sift through the straw. They're not going to hurt themselves eating some straw. Uh, and it makes them forage longer. It's mentally stimulating. Mental stimulation is going to create happy horses. So the other thing that I'll do is I'll take um, my old supplement containers with the screw on lids mm -hmm. and I'll drill holes in them of, you know, a couple different sizes, maybe sometimes. And I put uh, some sweet feed in there and I just toss in this. They have a hay, a hay ball too, or a treat ball, um, which I think are a, kind of a phenomenal waste of money. I think uh, just an old supplement container or an old milk jug is perfectly sufficient. Mm -hmm. Um and, you know, I'll even, you know, I'll make real great big holes and put hay in them so that the sweet feed doesn't roll out as fast. 
So they're really having to work for that sweet feed. They're really having to forage for it. I use a lot of stall toys. Um, and oftentimes, and this is probably gonna sound funny to some people, I use dog toys. My horses don't give a damn. I use dog toys. Uh, I'll go to the clearance section at uh, Cal Ranch or at Tractor Supply and whatever dog toys are on sale, that's what I'll use. Um, any kind of rope toy or a ball on a string, they love it. And the donkeys especially. The donkey carries around her ball on a string everywhere and just <laughs> swings it around. She's so funny. Um, anything they can swing around with their mouth is usually a good time. Uh, I'll leave their feed buckets in there so they kind of toss those around and play with them. Um, and then the other thing I do, and, which is why I mentioned earlier that it's kind of important to, that I didn't say necessarily positive enrichment because mental stimulation is really what we're going for here. And sometimes that requires us to ask the horse to go a little bit outside of their comfort zone um, is I use some things that are maybe a little inherently scary. So I'll use tarps. Um, you know, none of my horses are afraid of tarps uh, or old empty feed bags. Mm -hmm. And it just get, gets them used to that spooky, scary stuff. You know, I, I left a uh, crumpled up blue tarp in Roni stall for like a week last week. And at first he wasn't too thrilled with it, but it, by the end he was like dragging it around and, you know, he's really having a good time. And, and I didn't care if he tore up that $10 tarp from Harbor Freight. And then when he was done with it, I took it to cricket stall. And then the donkeys were trying to steal it out of her stall. And now it's at the end, it's with Sully. So that helps them build confidence around human things, around human objects. Right. And it, it encourages their curiosity and their investigation without human presence, right? So a lot of people have incorporate tarps into their training programs, but you're always with them. So now they're a little bit worried about you and they're a lot worried of the tarp. Whereas I've taken myself out of the equation. I put that in there and walk away. And they get to investigate it in their own time. You know, and of course, it's, it's important to note that my horses don't live in a 10 by 10 stall. Right. You know, their paddocks are very big. And so they can get away from it if they want to. Um, I'll put cones, traffic cones in there. Uh, like I said, old empty feed bags. Sometimes I'll, um, I'll tie the feed bag shut with bailing twine and I'll put some uh, uh, old supplement containers in there. So it's kind of just a funky texture. Mm -hmm. You can also take old feed bags and put hay in them and just rip kind of holes in it. Right. Uh, that's another thing I'll do. So, you know, all things that I don't care if they destroy it and it makes noise, it moves. Um, and it's interesting to them. And they, you know, they gain a lot from that. They really do. My horses aren't scared of plastic bags or, you know, stuff like that. So, um, and it, 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 all of it kind of surrounds food and foraging and looking for food because that's they're going to be their number one drive out if they weren't domesticated if they weren't living with me they would be looking for food all the time right so that's what I do um at least a, a couple of the things I do I'll also play games with them you know I'll play water games I'll play with the hose um I interact with them a lot I don't you know I used to do a lot of grooming but I don't anymore because there's just no damn point to it um for me, you know, because my horses live in uh, dirt paddocks. So right. why would I bathe you? You're just going to go roll in the mud. Um, but I still do, you know, I'll go over them with the curry and, you know, give them scratches and, and stuff like that. Uh, and, you know, trick training, you know, Liberty work is another really 
great form of enrichment where you can bond with your horse and you don't have to be under saddle to do it. Um, and then outside of that, you know, at, at looking at the bigger picture of husbandry is general care. So the reason I want to talk about vaccines is because it's such a polarizing topic within the horse community. Um, and it really should not be. It really should not be at all. There's no good reason not to vaccinate your horse. And, um, you know, I get for like a vaccine like EPM, where it's not been really proven to be effective. So I get not wanting to vaccinate for that. But for something like rabies, there's no good reason not to vaccinate. You know, I, I worked at the state lab for two years. And one of my primary duties was um, doing brain extractions for rabies and you want to know the number one animal I performed brain extractions on? I would assume dog, but I'm, I'm going to guess. Yeah. Horse. Horses, then bats, then dogs. In that order, horses, bats, dogs. Um, that surprises a lot of people, but it's because people don't vaccinate their horses. Um, Horses are no different than dogs. If you don't vaccinate them and they bite someone, that person ha is within their legal right to request that that animal is tested for rabies. And the only way to do that, the only way, if they have not been vaccinated against it, is to extract their brain. That's it. Mm -hmm. You just lost your best friend because you didn't vaccinate. And it's what, uh, maybe a $60 vaccine? I mean, you know, in, in a lot of cases you can, if it, and it's up to the victim, it's, up, it's kind of up to whoever got bit. They can do a two week quarantine, but it, it really depends on the situation. Uh, and I can tell you that none of them ever quarantined. None of them ever quarantined. They all came in, they were humanely euthanized and their brain was extracted for testing. So, um, I vaccinate because I don't want that to ever happen to me to have mm -hmm. to put my best friend to sleep because he bit someone uh, and that person, you know, cause people are just the way people are. People are going to people. Um, and bottom line, you know, if your horse, for example, when Roni showed up lame that day, you know, a couple months ago, or EPM, or, you know, a, a, there were a couple of other things we were suspicious of because of how and the way he presented. Sometimes when your horse gets hurt, it is hard to tell whether or not they are injured or sick. The only way to eliminate some of those options is to have vaccinated against them. Right. Period. Um, and I think just in general, most horse owners are not educated enough on the diseases that are out there. You know, they hear equine influenza or equine herpes, and they don't realize how that affects the brain of the horse and how it can kill them and how it's incredibly infectious. And your horse doesn't ever need to leave your property to catch it. If your horse is around wildlife, which it is, and it doesn't matter what kind of barn you keep it in, your horse is around wildlife. Mm -hmm. Or it's around dirt because a lot of these diseases are dormant in the soil it, from animal feces. Uh, that's, that's how the vector transmits. You know, it'll go into the feces, which then gets into the soil, which then um, it ingested somehow or inhaled. Mm -hmm. well, there's no way to prevent that. 
unless you vaccinate against it. Yeah. No, I think that's the biggest issue that a lot of people don't think about is that they say, well, my horse never leaves my property. But if people too are coming onto your property, there is every opportunity for your horse to pick up whatever it is that right. is being shed off of those people. You know, when I was in college, I did a big thing on um, the transfer of hoof and mouth from farm to farm to farm and how that is done and, and talk about different scenarios with it. And one of the biggest ways that it's spread yep. is from people going across different farms, because of course, none of those farms are practicing strict bio or um, biosecurity between them. So of course it, it goes around. So the idea right. that people right. are saying my horse never leaves my property and that's why I don't vaccinate is definitely but putting your horse out of risk. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But you do leave your property. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what's worse is people just don't, I don't think that pe- people think that only horses can transmit diseases to one another. No, it's like you said, humans can be a vector. Equine herpes virus five, um, the one that was really devastating that came over from Europe, uh, that's, that humans are a vector for that. We transmit right. it from horse to horse. So, you know, when you have your vet out for a checkup, your vet has just seen other horses. They can be transmitting those diseases. The only way to prevent is to vaccinate. I don't, I just don't understand that the vaccine, you know, a simple five or six way vaccine is like 60, 70 bucks. Mm-hmm. Just, just do it. It's in the long run, you're going to save yourself some money because, um, for example, when, so I vaccinate, right? But this spring we didn't get to vaccinate because they were moving and we just missed the vaccination window. So we'll vaccinate this coming spring, but I wasn't able to vaccinate this spring. When Roni got sick, I had to do $800 in lab work. Because you didn't vaccinate to, to, and they had to, to check r- it. Yes. Yeah. To rule out equine influenza and equine herpes. And, and several other diseases. I had to rule those out. Right. It's a, it's a yearly vaccine. It has to be done every year. $60 the vaccine costs. $60. You, I mean, we, it wasn't a financial thing for me. It was timing and, and moving. But um, I mean, criminy. If that's not convincing enough to you, I don't know what is. Yeah. Um, you know, some people say about the risk. I get that vaccine reactions are a big, are a big deal, especially, you know, for me, you know, Mustangs are, can be very prone to vaccine reactions. So that is, that is very legitimately a risk. Um, but the statistical likelihood that your horse is going to experience a vaccine reaction severe enough to end their life is minuscule, minuscule in comparison to the likelihood they will contract one of these life ending diseases. And infect all of your other horses in the process. Right. Um, or as you've said, that, that they bite somebody and then have to be put down in order to, te- to test them. <clears throat> and then not only that, but you have to understand as well, you're, you're subject to legal liability at that point. Especially right. if you board at a barn um, and that barn requires vaccines and you haven't vaccinated and your horse gives the strangles to other horses mm-hmm. that are insured or they're worth a lot of money, you can expect to, to go to court. Right. Because I would, I sure shit. Would. Oh yeah. You, you, you get my horse sick. I'm going to fucking come after you with every last ounce of fight I've got because fuck you for that. 
hundred percent. Yeah. Um, especially over something preventable. And it's crazy the amount of people that are just so willing to argue. And none of their points are ever valid. Well, my horse doesn't leave the property. Well, what about vaccine reactions? And I'm like, I, I can't with you. I get it. You're not going to vaccinate. Just please stay the fuck away from me and mine then because I don't want to deal with equine herpes virus. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. Um, or or the, my personal favorite argument is, well, my horse has never, my horse has never gotten sick until they do. Mm-hmm. Until they do. Yeah. And at that point, then you can't late. take it back. Yep. Yeah. You can't take it back. Um, you know, I think secondary to that, right? So like the next tier down, definitely nutrition, understanding your horse's nutritional requirements for their exercise level, their breeding, their genetics, their age. Um, I know that Blue Bonnet Feeds offers feeding feed consultations and nutrition consultations like free. It's oh, been something that, that I've been meaning to do. Yeah, they do. Cool. Um, I need to send them an email. Um, you know, I would especially encourage anyone with domestic bred horses to do that because, mm-hmm. you know, these horses have different nutritional requirements um, and are nutritionally very sensitive. Likewise, Mustangs are sensitive in the opposite way. You know, if you, if you give them too much, they will founder because they're mm-hmm. used to living on very little. Um, so Blue Bonnet Feeds offers, I believe they're completely free feed nutrition consultations for horses. They'll take a look at your feeding program, um, and ask you some questions and make sure that you're feeding, you know, kind of the right stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. and at a a minimum, you know, there's, I think it's the Merck veterinary manual. If I remember correctly, I've got it on my phone. Um, the equine is released, uh, several studies on equine nutrition and you can just kind of look at the the base requirements but of course your vet is also another great resource there you know every time my vet comes out I let him know what I'm feeding and I ask him you know what do you think I should be you know is this good is this not good um last time he was out he took Romy off of alfalfa he said only grass hates he was getting kind of chunky um so yeah um nutrition is very important it's not enough to just throw hay at them and expect them to do well on that because they wouldn't naturally only be grazing. They would also be foraging, you know, um, especially like donkeys. Donkeys are like famous foragers. They forage on anything, which Mm -hmm. basically means not just from the ground. They'll eat off of bushes. They'll eat off of branches that they can. And the reason that that's important is because of the way horses naturally travel and eat. So they're getting a very wide variety of vitamins and minerals and nutrients into their diet. Your feeding hay is not going to replace that. So if you're feeding only hay and your horses don't have access to turnout, it's important that you are supplying them with a balanced um, vitamin and mineral supplement and a balanced grain or feed of some kind that's going to meet their um, fat and starch requirements and so on. Um, I think just as important is not overfeeding. I see a lot of people feeding um, just kind of sweet feed for no reason. 
I see a lot of people feeding four flakes of alfalfa a day for no fucking reason. Yeah. Um, you know, you should be just as worried about malnutrition in the form of mineral deficiency with horses as you should about founder. If your horse isn't burning those calories, it's highly likely that founder is going to be on your list of concerns in the future. So mm-hmm. their exercise level, their activity level needs to marry up with their nutrition program. And just throwing hay at them is generally not good enough. Um, there are some horses where that is sufficient. You know, I could probably just throw grass hay at Roni and never worry about it, but, um, I'm not going to personally take that chance. You know, there's things like, you know, particularly with strictly grass fed horses, you know, we worry about equine motor neuron disease, which presents as, um, lameness in the hind at first. And it's pretty much, it's a death sentence. So Mm -hmm. there's only ever been one study on it. And in that study, one third of the horses returned to work normally. One third of the horses died and one third of the horses return lived, but never returned to work. And so basically what equine motor neuron disease is, is a a vitamin E deficiency. Um, And basically what vitamin E does in the horse is it provides the nutrients to develop and maintain healthy nerve sheaths, healthy nerve endings. And as the vitamin E fuse, think about it as like a fuse on a firecracker, it's very long. So it -hmm. takes a really long time to slowly deplete it, but it takes just as long, if not longer to build it back up. And so think of that fuse as the thickness of the sheath. So as vitamin E becomes deficient over time, the sheath comes thinner and thinner and thinner. And now you're, you start to get behavioral issues because that nerve sheath is thin and they're experiencing pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually it just wears away completely. And now they're lame. So um, my heart goes out to anybody that listens to this, who has had a horse with equine motor neuron or vitamin E deficiency, because that is a gnarly disease to have to deal with. We worried about Roni for that. And when the veterinarian looked me in the face and said, I'm worried about um, EMND, I cried. I cried hard because I knew the prognosis. Yeah. Um, and it ended up being just the partially torn, partially torn meniscus in both knees. But the idea, because he had been on mostly grass hay. Um, and I thought, oh my God. But at that time he was also getting um, soybean meal, which is pretty rich in vitamin E. Um, so it, it wasn't vitamin E, his vitamin E levels were normal. Um, and we tested those and it wasn't cheap. It was expensive. So, um, yeah, I make sure that, you know, we have this like false perception that horses are so hardy and that their nutritional requirements are so plain when really they're mm-hmm. very complex and they're very sensitive. So my best advice for people is to get, get in consult with a nutritionist or at, at a minimum talk with your vet and just make sure especially if you're someone who only feeds grass hay, make sure, make sure that that horse is getting nutritionally what they need from that hay um, because it can be very catastrophic. Um, So aside from that, hoof maintenance is another big one. Again, I don't do a lot of grooming anymore because it's just kind of a a moot point for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I do a lot of... uh, 
uh, mutual grooming. So I will groom them because it feels good and to just check their overall body for soreness and things, but I don't groom for looks. I'll groom their mane and tail to keep mats out of it, obviously, but um, I'm very big. All my horses are barefoot. So I'm very, very big on barefoot maintenance and um, ensuring we have healthy feet. I'm very thankful to have horses with very healthy feet. Um, Cricket had some uh, hoof confirmation issues when she showed up because she'd never been trimmed and we were able to correct those over time. Um, and in the future, what I'd really like to look into, you know, that I saw somebody do a video about it today and you mentioned it, I think in the first episode is the track system. Um, I think yes. that that is a genius concept. It mimics the natural environment very well. Um, and it's very mentally stimulating. I think the track system is probably the epitome of ideal husbandry um, and what probably everybody should shoot for if you have this space to do it um, particularly for bear I'm not sure if I'll be able to do it on this property because I lease this property and I don't really want to do a whole lot of improvement or maintenance here if I'm not going to stay here right um, but you know we do I, I keep all the basic barrier tools on hand hoof knife nippers file uh, to maintain any chips or, or you know toe flare chips, things like that in between trims, but I have a master barefoot trimmer and master horseshoe or Wade Strom who trims all my horses. And I'm very, very thankful to him. So just as important as it is to have a good vet, it's equally as important to have a good barrier. Um, someone who is going to uh, agree with your horsemanship and um, work with any confirmation or health issues your horse might have. Uh, you know, Roni struggled with thrush for like a year and we eventually mm -hmm. kicked it. Of course, I'm sure he's going to have thrush again now with all this mud, but um, yeah, no hoof, no horse. And, and it's, it shouldn't go unacknowledged that something as simple as thrush can cause a great deal of sensitivity uh, in the horse. And even though they might not right. necessarily show it, it's just like having a fungal infection in your nail. It makes it thinner. It makes it more sensitive. And your horse is putting 1200 pounds on top of that. So, right. um, not something I take lightly by any means. And I take maintenance very, very seriously. So <clears throat> what else? Let's see. We talked about vaccination. We talked about, uh, you know, having a good vet, having a good farrier, having regular, um, you know, I do twice a year checkups on my horses uh, with their ages, you know, young horses and older horses need more checkups and their teeth floated more often. Horses in the middle, like Roni and Sully, Sully's, you know, going, he's closer to nine than he is to eight, I think. So he's still technically in his prime, um, Roni has had some soundness issues now. So now he will get checked up more often. Um, that's, those are kind of the big ones to me. And then just, you know, clean water, the amount of like not clean drinking water. I see people, you know, like, oh, my horse has access to water, but it's like disgusting. I'm like, yeah. you know, I wouldn't drink it, man. Like, um, the other thing is 
you know, horses, people don't, maybe they've realized, maybe they haven't. Horses will not drink water that is um, too cold. They won't drink. So it's more likely mm-hmm. for your horse to go dehydrated in the winter than it is for them to go dehydrated in the summer because they'd rather drink right. warm water. Um, so if you don't have a trough heater, I recommend just heating up a bucket of water and taking it out there and letting them drink from a bucket. So otherwise it, it's very common for horses to become dehydrated in the, in the winter. Um, so I feed electrolytes year round, which is an, another thing that I think everybody should be do, doing. Uh, electrolyte and a loose mineral supplement because they need it. They need it. Uh, normally your horse would be able to walk around and forge on whatever they want and get those minerals and those electrolytes and things. And they can't because of the way we keep them. So mm-hmm. the other thing I like to add in, you know, nutritionally is an oil um, and flaxseed. Those are the two things that will never change in my nutritional program. So long as my horses are doing well on it. Um, which is, so flaxseed just has like boundless, boundless benefits, like good for people, great for horses. Um, it's clinically proven to reduce colic, the chances of colic, um, Mm -hmm. great for the, great for the hoof, great for the skin, the hair, all that. And any kind of oil, personally, I prefer coconut oil. It is not the cheapest option, but the MCTs in coconut oil are wonderful and you don't have to feed as much of it you know i feed two ounces of it um but any oil is better than no oil i think as long as it's not high in um i th- i want to say it's omega-6s that are it's kind of detrimental to feed too much of so um that's those are kind of the big staples then i you know i'll feed like a purina strategy <laughs> for gut health um I feed daily gold and daily red. Um, flex more joint fluid. I was feeding um, Lubricin, but that shit's expensive. So uh, flex more uh, has the same amount of hyaluronic acid in the same form. And I feed silica in liquid. I don't feed the powdered diatomaceous earth. I feed I think that's it. That's all of my supplements. I ran out of coconut oil. So right now I'm using cocoa soya, which is like my least favorite, but um, those are all of them. And that's aside from spending time with them, like you're, like I said, your husbandry is any time you're spent in interacting with them, making sure that time mm-hmm. is positive and just making sure they have adequate access to resources. And also, you know, maybe it's worth mentioning that um, that has to include time with each other, you know, turnout, doesn't count when it's by themselves yeah they need to interact with the other members of their herd they're herd animals and they need that uh depriving them of that that. uh, is you know and actually that was the biggest thing that got me um sorry um, i so (laughs) we keep having like a little bit of delay that was the biggest thing that got me with go ahead go um, ahead go ahead the the show jumper what's her name Danielle whatever um when you know the big thing when she said that she didn't turn out her horses and her yeah and her uh her comeback to you know the blow up that came from that was well my horses get get hand grazed 
as like, that's great with a person, but where's the horse interaction? Like where, where is there? Yeah. That, that was like the thing that got me where I was like, okay, we clearly are not understanding like why it is that everybody's upset. We're just talking out of our ass now to avoid losing sponsorships and stuff like that. So saving face. Yeah. Yeah. She was just trying to save face. Um, yeah, they need nose to nose contact. They need physical contact with other horses. They have to have it. That's not optional. You can't take, mm-hmm. you know, and what was it? What country was it? Uh, somewhere, not the Netherlands, um, somewhere over in that area, like by the Netherlands, I can't remember. Finland. In Finland, it is the law. You must have at least two. Really? You can't have one horse by itself. Yes. Yeah. You know, and they're like, oh, um, at the same level as um, equine behaviorists, no offense. I'm going to, I'm going to take their word for it. Actually, I'm going to take the decades and decades of research performed by PhDs over, um, you, just you. Yeah, no, that's not going to cut it for me. And the results are in the data. Horses that are turned out with other horses regularly have lower cortisol levels. They have lower stress hormone levels and they have a better overall behavior. And it's, it's actually exhibited in the gut health as well. Um, you know, I saw that with my donkey. My donkey was a fucking nuisance until I got another donkey. Mm-hmm. She needed, she needed a conspecific. It wasn't enough for her to have horses. She needed another donkey. I'm not upset about it. Now I have two cute donkeys, but <laughs> um, yeah, that breaks my heart when I see people with like just one um, or they don't get it turned out ever. Uh, start is like, well, how can I make, how can I make my horse, um, happier to go to work? Or how can I make my horse this or that? And I'm like, well, start by turning them out. Start by giving them some freedom. You basically put that animal in a prison cell and then, right. um, demanded that it perform in the way you want it to. Yeah. And that's not going to work. So that was one thing I found very interesting. Um, um, I went to has there Florida. Been anything super- I went to Florida and went to, uh, um, was it uh, Wellington, which is like the big English place down there, you know, a lot, a lot of flipping money down there. But um, it, it blew my mind that for one, the horses were always stalled. And when they were put out, they were put out by themselves in individual individual paddocks that were, you know, fairly far apart. So it's not like they could go over the fence and greet each other or anything like that. And I just remember I went and photographed a friend who was out there and she was not a big fan of how that, that, you know, that whole culture of of penning up the horses either. Um, But she was there for an internship or whatever and was performing down there. And she... um, I remember was taking pictures of her horse and he, you know, had the wind blew just the right way. And he got all excited and got up and he started running around the paddock and he started to um, fling up clumps of dirt behind him. And it still it blows my mind. I turned, I had, took a bunch of really great pictures of him and I turned to, to show her with the back of my camera and she's picking up the clumps of dirt and putting them back into the holes and like stepping down on them, like how they do at the golf courses and stuff. Because what? Because the owner of that barn that she was staying at would get really, really upset when the horses would kick up and and tear up the grass in the paddock. 
And I was like, what? I, I, I could not be a part of this, of this world. Like it's, it just it blew my mind that there was more concern about not having holes in the paddock than there was to having horses that ha- you, mentally were in a good place because they were able to socialize and, you know, be fucking, God forbid, be fucking horses. Well, Maureen, in my opinion, that's what money does. Money corrupts. Money makes yeah. evil. Money um, tarnishes, you know, because you take the money out of the picture, you take the need to fit into modern capitalism and look fancy, look expensive. And that would go away. That would dissipate. Mm-hmm. I don't give a shit. My horses constantly chew through the boards on their paddock. And I'm like, well, fuck it. They can't be turned out right now. So I <laughs> yeah. owe them at least that. Chew it up if you want to. Um, yeah, I couldn't, you know, and those are the kind of people that a podcast like this is not going to reach because they don't care about the welfare. They care about appearances. It, you can have both. You can have both. There is a way to do both. Um, I mean, there, there are people that do it. So yeah, there's, there's one thing I want to get your, um, opinion on it with, with husbandry is, um, shelter for it's like the one thing that I haven't shared on my TikTok. So I'm going to share it here. Uh, my horses do not have any kind of man-made shelter. And I, the only reason I haven't shared that on my TikTok is because I know that if there are people that are going to throw a fucking fit about it, I have lots of big, gorgeous Oak trees out my pasture. We do not have a barn. My horses are out 24 seven, no matter what the weather is. Um, but they, we've got these big, gorgeous oak trees. So there's plenty of natural cover if they need to be covered. But we don't have a lean-to. We don't have a barn right now. We don't have any kind of man-made structure. When we had our big snow in February here in Texas, um, where we had literal inches on the ground, um, we, did, we do have these Connex boxes that we have for storage. And we were able to clear one of them out and left the doors open. So if the horses wanted to go in, they could but they chose not to. So I'm curious to hear your opinion on the need for a specifically a man-made shelter and if natural cover is enough for good animal husbandry. Um, my opinion is going to be that it depends on the horse. So for me and my horses, and 99% of the time, man-made shelter is unnecessary. Um, horses that are out on the range only have access to natural forms of shelter. So trees, hillsides, cliffs, uh, cliff overhangs and things like that. They Mm -hmm. don't ever have access to lean-tos, barns, um, and and artificial shades. The only time that's gonna change, right, is like if you have an extremely elderly horse with a thin coat, if you have clipped your horse's coat, um, if your horse has some kind of metabolic disease that prevents them from sweating, properly uh probably they need shade because they can't sweat um but all of these are going to be in situations typically with domestically bred horses horses where natural selection is not able to do its job and so therefore you have created a horse less fit to withstand the elements when you do that when you create a horse that is less fit to withstand the elements it is now your responsibility to provide them with everything they need to withstand those elements. 
So if you have line bred a quarter horse that can't sweat properly, then you need to fucking give him shelter because he's going to bake in the sun and die. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have bred an Arabian that has no coat in the winter and you live in Montana, you need to have a fucking heated barn or else that horse is going to goddamn dwindle away to nothing. Um, I'm fortunate in that I have all Mustangs that are from environments like mine. They don't need it. And most of the time when you have an artificial shelter or shade of any kind, they don't use it because they're fine and they don't need it. Um, I think that it's nice to have it, you know, in case your horse is experiencing a case of the sniffles that you don't know about um, or they just need it for whatever reason. But in general, as long as they have access to some kind of natural shelter, natural shade, which would be like trees or whatever, uh, then they don't need anything artificial. It is state law in most places. Um, every state is different. In the state of Arizona, three-sided three shelters are the requirements. Um, I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the legislation in quite a while, so I'm not sure if they mentioned anything about trees in our laws. But if mm-hmm. they don't, it's probably because we don't have a lot of big coniferous trees providing shade you know we have um the the trees that we do at least in this part are like short like five six feet tall maybe but they're very round they don't provide a lot of shade um yeah or in the white mountains there's like pine trees and 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 fir trees and stuff but um and so like that i would i would consider that to be adequate shelter um but i'm not sure what livestock would have to say about it I know that uh, from a biology standpoint, they wouldn't be them. It's going to hinder them for the next season. So, for example, like when we moved up here, what my horses came from 80 degrees to snow on the ground. Mm-hmm. And so I blanketed them because they didn't have time. You know, normally your horse would change with the season and their body would acclimate to the amount of daylight it's receiving. And as the season changed, it would slowly acclimate. They didn't get that opportunity because they went from Southern Arizona where it was 80 degrees to fucking snow on the ground. So they got blanketed because they didn't have a winter coat and I wasn't willing to um, sacrifice body condition and things like that. But now that they have been here and they will slowly acclimate this season, unless one of my horses shows me physically that they are not acclimating well to the winter this year, they will not get blankets they won't need it um but my horses are wild horses you know if you have a a smart little lena i'd probably throw a blanket on that son of a bitch in the winter because they're just not they're just not genetically cut out for this shit man right put them in a barn and throw a blanket on them because you need it okay uh and no offense to those people but that's just the reality of line breeding sorry yeah, you can't argue. You can't argue with genetics. You can't argue with science. That's just all there is to it. Um, the reality is that most of these horses with papers would not exist in the wild. They would not exist. Mm-hmm. Natural so natural selection would say otherwise. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, but they and they do need they do so you do provide shelter. It's just natural shelter. They need some kind of yeah, exactly. 
They need some kind of shade. Um, and you have big trees. So that, that to me is shelter because that is the same type of shelter they would have if they were just out. Right. You know, on the range, in the wild. It's the same thing. Yeah. Um, and most of the time, like I said, they don't even use it. You know, it could be a hundred degrees outside, blistering heat. Um, and my donkeys aren't even using the shade. They're out grazing. Oh yeah. No, that's Chap. Um, I mean, he's a black horse and he'll sit out there in the sun and, and graze. So. Yeah. It doesn't stop from stressing me out. Right. Like when we have these bad thunderstorms and stuff, especially at night, I'm like, Oh my God, today's going to be the day. They're going to bust <laughs> through a fence. They're going to freak out. They're going to, and, and that's just me projecting my own fears onto them because my horses are like, this is normal. Right. It's just the raining season. This is just what happens every year. And they're just all standing out there as calm as can be. It's yeah. me that's freaking out. So a lot of, you know, a lot of this stuff uh, is like our own human perception that we project onto our horses. You know, we think, well, God, if I walked outside, I would need a jacket. Your horse isn't you. Your horse is not you. I can't say that enough. Um, yeah. They, they don't live in houses. So, um, you know, and they're, they're used to living out in the elements. So people don't realize how much they miss being inside. Like I, I tell everyone, you should take 24 hours. I mean, 24 full hours, night and day, 24 hours and go mm -hmm. spend it with your horse out in the pasture. Sometime take your fucking sleeping bag or whatever and go spend and just take it in. No phone, no nothing. Listen to all the sounds, watch all the wildlife. Like look at all the stuff you miss every day and realize how little of your horse's life you really know about. Yeah. Cause it is very little. That's a good idea. I'm going to have to do that. It, it's wild. I mean, the, the number of people that have been like, oh, my horse isn't that vocal or my horse isn't that affectionate or this or that. They're not that playful. And then I've been like, okay, spend 24 hours with them. And they've come back and said, oh, my God, he never shuts up. He's so affectionate. He's so playful. And I'm like, see, you are you are experiencing 30 minutes to an hour of your horse's day on average. Right. There are 23 other hours in the day. So you're experiencing less than 10 percent of his day. I'm not good at math. Right. So I don't know what percentage that actually is, but. Um, no, yeah. And it's, it's funny too, because I actually experienced this today because um, Arlette's horse, Mando, uh, pulled a leg muscle or something like that. So I had him on one side of the house and um, was giving him some hydrotherapy and uh, Chap and Scarlett came over to the fence line to come hang out with us. And I was just standing there letting the water run on him and everything. And, and I look over and typically I don't, when I think about Chap, I'm like, he's not, he hangs out with Mando. He likes to hang out with Mando, but I never see him like be affectionate with the other horses. But today I took video because I look over and there's Chap grooming Scarlet and she, and they're mutually grooming each other, which I had never experienced huh. before with him. So I took video of it and everything. I was like, so oh, that is called so cute grooming. today. Aloe grooming is the term for that. And that's um, mutual grooming specifically for bonding. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. My donkeys do that with each other all the time. I haven't seen Roni ever do that with another horse. He does try to do that personally. If you don't have time to do it right, then don't do it. Hey, buddy, come here. Come on. Archer's got an ear infection. 
So he's not feeling himself. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, those are kind of the main husbandry things to me. And I, in doing those, you, you foster a more positive, holistic environment for your horse. You, um, you show your horse that you're really taking care of them, that you really uh, care about their well-being. And you just create mm -hmm. a healthier horse. A healthier horse is more capable of performing and is more able to perform. So not only are they more willing, but they are more able because those are two different things. Your horse might be willing, but unable because he's deficient in selenium. Or uh, likewise, they might not be very willing because they're crabby because their stomach is empty and they have ulcers from their stomach acids flashing up on the sides of their stomach walls. Mm -hmm. Not willing because they're crabby. Um, so, and a lot of people's behavioral issues could be resolved. Bless you, dude. Just by having better husbandry, you know, by by giving your horse access to twenty four hour hay, by um, making sure they're getting their teeth floated. Oh my god, that goes right along with their feet. Um, your yeah. horses should be checked every year. Whether or not you think they need their teeth done, they need to be checked every year by a, an either an equine dentist or your veterinarian to evaluate whether or not they actually do need their teeth done. Yeah. End of story. Um, because the other thing is, and I've talked to people, you could feed him the best, most expensive feed in the world. You could have Purina design a feed just for your horse. It won't make a lick of difference if your horse's teeth are incapable of masticating that food down, chewing that food down to extract nutrients from it. Because the reality is the horse's gut is very ineffective. It's actually kind of a shitty design. No offense, nature. And we see that if you've ever fed your, your horse whole oats. If you've ever fed mm -hmm. your horse whole oats and you've seen it come out the other end, most of the time they're still full. They're still undigested. They're complete, fully uh, little oats out in their poop. The horse's yeah. digestive system is not very strong. Why? Because they're herbivores. They're herbivores. So they're not, right. you know, they're not having to digest meats and bone and, you know, some of the other stuff that um, omnivores and, and obligate carnivores have to digest, which also right. means that their gut microbiome is not as diverse. So, right. Um, they rely very, very heavily on those teeth to fully grind their food down, to really mm -hmm. make sure that it is into a pulp before it gets to the gut, because the gut is very inefficient in the horse to extract nutrients, period. So if you're not, your horse isn't seeing the dentist every year, all that money you're spending on feed and supplements is literally in one end and out the other. Yeah. But I'm sure the ants on the ground appreciate it. The ants are, the ants are getting a lot. <laughs> the birds, the birds are sure getting a lot. Right. Yeah, I'm sure. <clears throat> Has there been anything that kind of surprised you? Um, husbandry? Probably something that I definitely need to work more on is the enrichment part of it. Um, I had never heard about enrichment for horses until mm -hmm. I started following Brooke on TikTok. Right. Um, that was not something, I mean, you know, right. I've seen horses with 
a couple of like, you know, little ball toys or whatever out in their pastures and everything like that. But no one had ever had ever taught me when I was younger or anything like that, the importance of enrichment for horses. So my horses, since I've had them have just been out on the pasture and interacting with each other and, and all that stuff. But there's definitely more that I could be doing for them. So that's something that I have been trying to work, um, work on a little bit more and improve for them. So it just to be really clear, if your horses are living in uh, a pasture environment with uh, other horses, like in a group environment in a pasture, a large pasture, um, the need for enrichment is lower. The more your horses are stalled, and the smaller those stalls are, the more of a requirement it becomes. Um, but just right. keep in mind, it's not absent. The need for enrichment in that environment is not absent because the horse cannot travel freely. The horse isn't able to travel freely. So they still are going to get bored. Right. They're seeing the same pasture all day, every day. That's boring to them. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of people fall into that boat with you. They don't really think about it. When, when it gets brought up, they're like, oh, that makes sense. But for the most part, they're like, wow, I never thought of that. Or that's tree hugger shit and they don't want to hear it. So whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, even the donkeys at the zoo get enrichment, Kyle. Chill, dude. Um, yeah. Well, if you have any closing thoughts. Um, no, I was just going to say, um, you want, you wanted to talk, mention before we, we sign off and everything uh, about um, merch and stuff like that for the podcast. So. Yeah, so we have a couple of announcements. Number one, we have a website. That's going to be thehighhorsepod.com. I voted for a different web address, but I got outvoted by Maureen. So (laughs) thehighhorsepod.com is going to be our website. Just trying to make it easy for everybody. By me, for anybody that doesn't know. Okay. (laughs) So that's what I do for a living. I uh, design and build websites, and I do a lot of... um, branding so anybody that needs a website uh, I'm your girl that's what I do and merch so we will be releasing merch both on the website and um, I will have a link in my social media for our merch 15% of all of the money raised and proceeds from our merch goes to the Mustang Hair you know, merch for a good cause there. They do a lot of advocacy work for the Mustang education and preservation of Mustangs as well. One of one of the few organizations I fully put my backing behind. Um, and we'll have, so, you know, we appreciate anyone in advance who might feel moved to go and, you know, support our merch. Yeah, I think I'm really excited that we that we chose to um, to give some of that money to the Mustang Foundation. I think um, it's 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 a good opportunity for people to one get involved with that organization. I think um, mm-hmm. it's not as widely recognized as a lot of other organizations are. Um, within the equine community. And two, I mean, you know, it's always nice to know that when you buy something that your money is going to do more than just, um, you know, pay the bills or whatever like that. Yeah. I mean, we love doing this podcast, of course, but you know, it's nice to have something to keep the ranch going in my case, um, Mm -hmm. but also give back to the community that I draw so much from as well. 
Um, exactly. Yeah. So we appreciate everyone for listening and we will see you on the next episode.